This sermon was recorded at the Midtown Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Our scripture this morning is Matthew 6, verses 1, and then verses 5 through 13, which is found on page 811 in your pew Bibles. And if you're able, will you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Matthew 6, 1 and 5 through 13. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Good morning. Hey, my name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad to be with you guys this morning. Um, let me pray for us. <clears throat> um, Jesus, and I'm just struck by all the songs we sang this morning that talk about your closeness. You are enthroned in heaven. You whose voice is thunderous. You uphold everything we see by the power of your word. You say that the earth is your footstool. You send angels to do your bidding. And I could just keep going on and on and on to talk about how small and little we are. And for some reason, you get joy in hearing our voice. You get, uh, and you get joy from us coming to you, using our minds and our hearts and our lips to commune with you, to talk to you. Um, you want us to be near you. Uh, and, and I say that even like in my mind thinking, man, in, <laughs> what we tend to do is like stiff arm people or create distance in order to prop ourselves up. Like we, we put people at a distance at times 
in order to like create like uh, propping up to like make ourselves look bigger than we are. But you need no propping up. You need nothing from us. We can't offer you anything. And yet you want us near you. You want us close. You are holy other. You are magnificent. You are glorious. And we just come to this text just um, overwhelmed by your graciousness and your love toward us. So God, I pray that you would teach us at your feet this morning. Show us what it looks like to draw near to you. Through your word, through the spirit, I pray in your name, amen. Okay, so this morning we're gonna talk about uh, prayer. Prayer to our father who, like did you catch that in this text? Who already knows what you need. That just sticks out to me. Anyone else? Prayer to your father who knows your needs, knows already everything that you would bring to him, knows what your heart longs for, even before you can put words to it, which I don't know, like if you're like me, but that just brings a little bit of cynicism up in me. I'm like, then why are we doing this thing? Like, why are we talking? Why are we conversing? Why are we to pray to begin with? If prayer doesn't inform God of anything, then why is it necessary for that, us to have this like information transfer situation? When, when what are we talking about when we're talking to him anyway then? We said this week in and week out that Jesus is giving us a picture of the good life. He's walking through this sermon, showing us what it looks like to be fully human, to be fully thriving. Jesus is giving us a picture of what it looks like to live in his kingdom. This is a magnificent sermon where he's welcoming us into a beautiful life in his kingdom. And here's the thing you have to wrap your mind around when it comes to what Jesus is doing here. We might be tempted to think that what Jesus is giving us some it's giving us some good ideas or even some like strategies for living a happier life. In fact, you, you hear this a lot, right? Like Jesus is this good teacher who makes some really good points, right? Everybody can admit that. He makes some really good points. There's some really good strategies here for loving people better, for being a little happier, for being having a little bit more peace in your life. But that's about as far as it goes. He isn't God, like, he, he isn't God, but he does make some really good points. If you apply some of these things, he'll probably make your life better. He's a good teacher. And the New Testament says over and over and over that people are calling him this rabbi, which rabbi just meant teacher, right? In the New Testament, rabbi are these, are these teachers in the first century, these Jewish rabbis that would go from town to town teaching in synagogues. And if you aspired to be like one of them, you would go to the synagogues, hear their teaching and like get boosted. But if you wanted to be like them, these rabbis would come from town to town. You would find one that you want to be like. I want to be like this guy. And you would attach yourself to them. You would begin following them around. You would get as close to them as you could. You would follow them from town to town so that you could be more and more like them. You would learn the things that they're teaching so you could teach like them. You would get, become more like them. You would hear from them, act like them, and eventually become like them. And this rabbi isn't hitting the teaching circuit and preaching this sermon just so that we can hear his words and think that he makes a few good points on some things that would make our lives better. He wants us to attach ourselves to him. He wants us to be his disciples. He, this Sermon of the Mount is not some tips on how to live a better life. It's a sermon on an invitation to attach yourself to him. 
This is like if you're new to the whole Jesus thing and there's like a step for following Jesus. Now, like there's no steps. There are no steps, okay? But if there was a step, this is like foundational, basic Jesus following stuff right here, okay? Like this, there's no real step here, but this is baseline for everything in the kingdom of God. And I think John 15, one of Jesus' most famous teachings, get at this. And I just preached this a couple of months ago. And Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. So Jesus's metaphor for how we are to be with him is that of a branch abiding in a vine. And if you're attached to him, then you can pray whatever you ask and he'll do it. So abiding is gonna look like something, right? That's what he's getting at here. Abiding has to look like something. I mean, it looks like agreeing to doctrines and truths about who God is in your heart and mind. Of course, you have to know what you're abiding in, but mostly it's going to look like something in how you relate to him. Mostly it's going to look like how you're pursuing relationship with him. In other words, it's going to cost you something. It's actually going to take effort. It's not to earn something, but to pursue something relationally that's worth it for you. And it's right here that the spiritual disciplines kind of get a, a, a bad rap. Um, prayer and fasting and reading uh, scripture and Sabbath and giving and all these things on down the list. Every single one, the spiritual disciplines get a bad rap as like this legalistic thing that we do because all of us have like this, like this, this uh, allergy to anything that smells like effort to anything that may give off this picture that somehow I'm earning my keep with God, that somehow I'm climbing this ladder or that I might possibly appear to be a hypocrite. But if, but if being a disciple of Jesus is about abiding in Jesus, then you can't just like check off the list that you've done that, that, that we're past that, right? When I leave my house in the morning, I tell my wife, I love her. I don't like check a box and go, done with that, right? When I give my wife flowers, right? The flowers aren't the point. They are merely a means of expressing my love and desire to get closer to her. The flowers aren't the point. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray. Prayer is a means to an end. Prayer orients your life to relationship, to abiding in him. Regular and consistent prayer then is a way to present yourself to God all through the day, all through the week, all through your life, regularly coming to him and saying, God, you are here. You are alive. You are with me. You're in this with me. I haven't been here. My, my, my mind is running with all the things I have to do, with all the things that have been piling up in my week. My my, my emotions have been running because I'm mad of all the idiots that are driving too slow or too fast on the freeway. I haven't been with you. I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm hurt. My, I'm, I've got anxiety from all these things I read on Facebook. And prayer clears all that stuff out and says, you're here with me, you love me, and I'm here with you. And you alone are beautiful and sufficient and I have real needs that only you alone can meet. So I'm coming to you, nothing else. I'm coming to you. And that's all it is. 
<laughs> that's what it is. And that's the goal of it. Like, man, and I'm telling you, if you're new to following Jesus, this is the best part of it. The best part of following Jesus is Jesus. Like, it, it's, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, the best part of being a disciple of Jesus is getting to know him and following him and being with him. Prayer isn't something I have to do. It's something I want to do. I want to be with him. But Jesus warns us that the very thing that is meant to like bring us closer into relationship with him has the possibility of actually doing the opposite. And that's how he kicks off this section. So let's look at that. Chapter six, verse one. He kicks off this section saying, beware of practicing your righteousness. This is like a warning sign. Watch out. When you start doing these God-ordained practices, these God-ordained things, it's possible for you to do these good things that Jesus isn't even going to tell you to stop doing. It's possible for you to do these things for reasons that actually grow you further away from Jesus. Look at verse five. First, Jesus says that it's possible for you to take prayer and use it as a tool to make you appear stronger than you actually are. Okay, verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. You see, the hypocrites make prayer about themselves. They want to look like they've, they've like entered into some like spiritual height. So, so they make the point to pray when other people can see them. They love to pray out loud and sound like they're, they have like this special connection between them and God. And they pray with one eye open, hoping that people are watching them. And hypocrisy is not this desire to please the Lord, but falling short. Okay, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. Hypocrisy is wanting to appear one way out here when there's something else going on in here, Right? Hypocrisy is hiding your true motives. It's pretending, it's presenting to others one thing and hiding the fact that your heart isn't into it. It's a form of lying, okay? Think about this. Prayer, like nothing else, puts you face to face with your weakness. It puts you face to face with your utter weakness and frailty. You're, you're telling me that I have to spend significant time talking to a God I can't see asking him to do things that I'm not even confident he's doing. I can't even tell if he's making happen. And I've got to do that over and over and over. What does it take for you to do something like that in your life? It takes humility, weakness, frailness, trust. And that plays pretty well in church. But on Thursdays, why aren't you praying? Because you hate standing in your weakness. You hate standing there. So if you must pray, well, there's a very real temptation for all of us to read a room and gauge what's being praised, right? Like what's getting noticed, what's being celebrated, what's being valued, like put your finger up in the air, which way is the wind blowing? Oh, we're praying using those words in our group, that gets noticed and praised, okay. And we easily and so subtly, and perhaps without even realizing at times, turn prayer, which is this means to bring us face to face with our Jesus, and instead turn it into this not this need that we bring him, but a strength, something that gets his pats on the back. And you look strong and even close to God, but in reality, your heart is far from him because you aren't taking your heart to him. And Jesus says, it's not only that, but Jesus also tells us that it's possible for you to take prayer and try to manipulate God with it as well. Look with me in verse 
7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they have been heard for their many words. So what we have here is Jesus addressing superstitious views of prayer. It was common practice in pagan temples for superstitious pagans to gain an ear of a deity by praying all kinds of repeated phrases, these magic words that they could utilize to try to garner and try to get gods to flip switches for them. And if they prayed hard enough, repeated enough words, maybe they can make that happen. And the way we address God reflects the way we relate to him. That's the point he's getting at here. Some people view prayer as something that they have to do in order to please God or try to get God to get on their side to do what they want. They have to perform some ritualistic prayer. They see their words and phrases or constant repeated prayers as like this means of receiving what they want and need, but this doesn't actually give them a connection for God. It doesn't give them a connection with him. So what does Jesus say about the hypocrite and the superstitious? Verse eight, don't be like them. Don't do that. Don't try to be seen by other people. Don't try to get God, like manipulate him to get, give you what you want. Jesus says we aren't supposed to be using prayer to get other people to look at us. We aren't supposed to be using prayer to get God's attention to do what we want because we have a real God who really truly is in control and knows what we need already and he truly answers prayer. So Jesus gives us very specific instructions for how we are to avoid these temptations of using prayer to gain praise and using prayer to manipulate God. Jesus basically tells us to make prayer about doing business with God alone in verse six. Verse six. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Make prayer about doing business with God alone. Go into a prayer closet, shut the door and pray. Shut the door and pray to your father alone. Why? Because what you do in private is who you really are. What you do in private, what you do out here for everyone else, it's possible that's not who you are. And sometimes you don't even know that. What is your prayer life like when no one's watching, when you're alone? That's who you really are. God wants you to relate to him and talk to him as you really are, that version of you. Get alone with God. Get somewhere private and talk to your heavenly father. You don't have to make a song and a dance to get before him. You don't have to say special words to like win his attention. The fewer the people who know you're praying, the better. You don't even have to impress him. You don't have to win him over. You don't have to use flowery language. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. You can just come just how you are. Use the language that you have. The point here is that we must always pray alone. Like that's not the point Jesus is getting at. The point here is not that we always have to be praying to God alone. The point here is to not let anything else no distraction, any motive, get between you and talking to your heavenly father. That's the point. Jesus is saying, clear the deck, remove any distraction, move all these things away. Let them fade to the background because I want to be in the foreground. I want to be in the center. What does this kind of prayer look like in your life? What does it look like to 
pursue this kind of prayer, to have this kind of posture before God. Well, Jesus is a good teacher and he gives us a framework that we call the Lord's Prayer. This is an incredibly famous prayer. Even if you aren't a Christian, you probably know what this prayer is. And Jesus doesn't say that we need to always be using these identical words. But what Jesus does here, it seems that Jesus intended to give us a sweet sequence of thought to act like scaffolding by which we're building our prayers. So, so this prayer is like scaffolding by which we can utilize and put into practice to build our prayers in order to move closer to God. This isn't, this isn't the whole building. It's like a model of the kinds of petitions and God orientation that should mark our lives. So here's what I wanna do with the rest of our time. What I wanna do is I wanna walk through, how many do I have? I changed them 15 times. I don't know how many I have. Six, I've got six. I've got six things that I want to point out uh, to you. I want to point out six different observations that will help inform why we should pray and how we should pray. And then I want to end our time praying this prayer all together. I hear you moving those papers around. Uh, None of my notes are on that. I did not give you notes, but I did figure that if Ron's willing to give out notes every week, then I can give homework. So that's actually homework. Um, We're stepping it up. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, we'll use those here in a minute. Put those away. Um, Hey, what I want to do is walk through a few encouragements, some some things that I want to help inform the way we pray. These are just some observations of the Lord's Prayer. And then I want to end our time not talking about strategies or all these other things that we could talk about. I just want us to do it together. Okay? That's where we'll end. So what does prayer tell us about, what does this prayer tell us about how we regularly approach God? Here's my first point. It encourages us to pray meaningfully, meaningfully. Now that may seem a little odd, but I think this is one of those things that's like so obvious that you can just so easily pass over this. This is like one of those things that all of us may just kind of assume, but you don't know you're even assuming it. And we can just skip on passing. I think it's pretty significant Prayer to our God is words that we can understand and speak. It is not rattling off some magic formula or some rogue thing that you're not even engaging your mind about. It's not an abracadabra. Think of Elijah praying for fire from heaven. You've got these pagans that are trying to coerce uh, their gods. They're cutting themselves. They're praying day and night, trying, repeating, working desperately to get their God to do what they want him to do. And at the end of it all, Elijah strolls up to the top of the mountain and with a simple and trusting prayer that he prayed for fire from heaven and it came. I think that's significant. Jesus is showing us that you can approach God with your feeble, less than perfect, less than impressive, earthly language and lips and mind and heart and the creator God of the universe hears your words. Like, think about that. The God of the universe hears you when you speak to him and he loves it. He wants you to. All the all the places where you feel inadequate, short, like uh, you don't know what to say, he invites you. Bring, 
bring your voice to him. Bring your heart to him. Bring your words to him. You have the opportunity with the one true God to share a world of meaning with him. And he wants you to explore it with him through prayer. Pray meaningfully. Come to him. Number two, pray to your father. The concept of God as father was revolutionized by the person and work of Jesus. In the Old Testament, God was viewed as father for sure, but he was mainly viewed as like this sovereign creator father, not so much this personal relational father. And in Jesus's day, the religious elite focused far more on the sovereignty and transcendence of God to the point where they avoided even using his covenant name, Yahweh. In their efforts to please God, they actually created more distance between them and God. And Jesus came to change this completely. Jesus came, the whole point of Jesus's mission was to change this. Jesus came to earth to reconcile us to his father so that his father could become our father, right? Throughout uh, his time on earth, Jesus's primary way that he refers to God is as his father. And the reason he want, went to the cross was to remedy our sin so that we could become children of God. The gospel is all about restoring your relationship back to your heavenly father. And as the apostle John reminds us in 1 John 3, 1, the love of God is clearly displayed in the fact that we can be called his children. This is a status that we cannot earn. Uh, we, we cannot lose it either. It is accomplished solely by the work of Jesus who suffered the penalty of our sins that have earned us that. All those who embrace the work of Jesus have been adopted by God into his spiritual family. Because of Jesus, prayer is not like trying to look good before God right? Like a, like a hypocrite would. Um, it's not about like just finding good luck, like the superstitious. It is a conversation with our father, the perfect father who knows everything you need, even before you ask. In his classic book, Knowing God, Jared Packer helps us understand how important this reality is. He says, do I as a Christian understand myself? Do I know my own real identity, my own real destiny? I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too. Say it over and over again to yourself. First thing in the morning, last thing at night, as you wait for the bus, anytime when your mind is free and ask God that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it in all it's, um, who knows it all utterly and completely true. For this is the Christian's secret of the Christian life of a God honoring life. This means that we should be confident to come to him. We should be confident to come to him and honor him as our father who did this work for us. Pray to him as father. Number three, pray communally. Man, did, it, did you guys catch that in the prayer? Let's look at it. Pray communally. Look how many communal words there are. Our father, right? Skip down to verse 11. Give us this day, our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also 
have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus didn't come to just save you as an isolated individual. He certainly came as your personal savior, but he came to do so much more than that. And the scriptures, New Testament's full of these metaphors that give pictures of who we are as the family, as the body, as a building, but it also gives us a picture of the temple, right? That we come together as the temple of God. The temple in the Old Testament was this place that God dwelt, but now the spirit resides in us as individuals, that we individually are the temple of God. The very presence of God resides in you if you have placed your faith in Jesus. And there's something about when we gather together in one place on Sundays, there's this, what Ron calls, I've heard him, I texted him yesterday, what was that phrase you used? This ecclesial presence of God. This presence of God that when we're scattered is one thing, but when we gather together, there's a unique presence of God that resides with us on Sundays. Yes, the Spirit of God resides in Christians when we're scattered throughout the week. And there's this special corporate reality of the presence of God when we gather weekly for worship. When we come together, together in unity, agreeing who He is worshiping him for who he is and together in unity, praying prayers for him alone to act. I mean, I think we honor him. I think he glories in that and he shows up in ways that he doesn't otherwise. Okay, pray communal. Pray communal prayers. Number four, pray God's rule and reign. The first half of the Lord's Prayer, that's verses nine through 10, are all about asking for God's kingdom to come. You can kind of summarize those three petitions in the first half as asking for God's kingdom to come. Here's what this section does. It lifts our eyes. It raises your gaze. It, it lifts you off of all the things that are in front of you, even on yourself. It raises your gaze to greater realities and greater needs that only God can fulfill. Our only hope is in God's kingdom and his will coming to full fruition for his rule and reign to become a reality. It lifts our gaze to his kingdom that is for sure coming. Let me ask you a question. How often are your prayers front-loaded with petition for God to get his way? Right, like how often are the front side of your prayers asking God, have your way, your kingdom come in this situation? Do you ever pray for God's will to be done? Now I think if we're like honest, like we kind of invert that and then we kind of like forget the second half. Like we just go, God, Will you do this my way in this situation? I want this to be done. Will you do this? Will you do this? Will you do this? And we rarely take time to consider, God, what is your will here? Would you have your way in this situation? Would you change this? Now, I think what we tend to do is not pray for things, for God's will to be done. Here's three things we don't pray for. We don't pray for change in ourselves. That's number one. We don't pray for change in ourselves because it's too scary, right? We don't want to pray for change in ourselves because we don't want to admit that we have needs that need changed. If you've prayed, you, you could pray this morning um, something like, Lord, I'm irritated this morning. Would your kingdom come and change my attitude this morning? How often do you pray something like that? 
Like that's kind of a scary, pr- first off, to even pray that prayer, you've got to put your irritation on hold to even pray that prayer. So that alone from the jump is kind of hard to do, right? God, would you stop my irritation by your word through your spirit and change me, make me kind, make me gentle. It's really hard to do that because it takes the focus off all those idiots out there that get in your way and puts it all on yourself. Like all, my kids, my wife, and all the people that get in my way, it turns it on me. God, what would you have for me? What do you need to change about me? And praying a prayer like this is also hard because our culture says that we have to live authentically. So to suppress my anger is to live like this unauthentic life or something like that. But oddly enough, idolizing our emotions doesn't free us from being ourselves and instead results in us being ruled by this ever-changing winds of emotions that kind of reside in us, right? We become tossed selves. Like we, we're changing depending on the situation we're in or to use Jesus's words in Matthew 11, we're a reed shaken by the wind. What would it look like for you to ask God to begin changing you? to actually take control of, over you, for his will to be done in you. Here's another thing we don't pray for. We don't ch- pray for change in others, not according to his kingdom, because it feels too controlling. It feels too controlling. Um, <clears throat> like when I was first married, um, man, I used to get super exasperated in the first few years of our marriage because uh, I would regularly bump up against all these things with my wife that I could see that's not good. This isn't helpful. The way we're relating here, and there's places where you need to change. And it didn't matter. Like, I think part of marriage is like holding up a mirror for one another so that we can see ourselves and be changed and pray for each other and all those different things. But I would hold up that mirror and it didn't matter how kind, how gentle, how clear I was. She never changed fast enough to the degree I wanted, all those different things. I used to get so frustrated and like push that forward and just, it never went well, right? Unfortunately, it took me years to realize that my job is not to change her. Part of my job is to hold up a mirror, but my main job is to pray for her, to pray that she would be changed by the spirit of the living God and formed into his image. And when I began taking my seat, my proper spot, praying for my wife, for her change, for her transformation, it made me a lot more gentle. It made me trust God more and for his kingdom to come and not for me just to get my way. Cause like truly, like, you know, I'm praying for his kingdom to come, but half of that's probably just irritations of my own desires and will, right? Another thing we don't pray for is for our culture to change because it just feels too impossible. Like what's going on out there, it feels impossible. It feels crazy, right? How often do you pray for our city, our country, our world? You just whine about it most of the time, don't you? You just whine about it and you feed off of others whining about it. But Jesus invites us to pray and to trust and actually bring, that he can bring real change to the places that are broken around us. We should be praying for the brokenness in our city, not according to our desires, but according to his kingdom. Okay, number five, pray needy. Pray needy. That's the second half of the Lord's Prayer. The second half of the Lord's Prayer, verse 11, focuses on our needs. Asking for daily bread would have resonated with Jesus' original audience, right? They needed bread every day. They didn't have refrigerators. They had so few money, they had to purchase bread every day. This, this petition, this ask, then kind of hits us flat. 
Like very few of us have needs. Very few of us live paycheck to paycheck. And even though we may not struggle with daily provision in the same ways uh, they did, we shouldn't skip over these words in our culture of prosperity because we can quickly forget that God is the one who ultimately provides what we have and what we need. If God is the one who provides the rain and the sunshine and all of those things, this should, uh, this should move us to him. This should move us to him to get our needs met by him alone. It is God who gives us every good gift. <clears throat> if that's true, then we, then we have to abide in him as we make our daily decisions. And here's what I'm getting at. What do you do as you make your daily decisions? Do you see prayer for daily bread? Like it may seem pointless at first, but if prayer is about abiding in him, then this prayer should move us to deeper conversation with him about all the daily decisions that surround our lives. Conversations about your budget with him. Conversations with him about your needs. Conversations with him about your wants. How do you have a conversation with him about buying a new car? Do you buy this one? Do you buy that one? How do you have that conversation? My, my guess is for most of us, that conversation goes more like, let's see, I need a new car, look at my budget, secure a loan, do some research, kick some tires in a car lot, and thank God as I'm driving out of the lot. And he's on this side of the conversation. But if abiding in Jesus looks like having all of these discussions with him, I think conversation with him should be done throughout. Maybe you do need a new car, but I'm not sure the time to talk and bring this to him is as you're driving out the lot, right? What is coming to him with your wants, your needs, your aspirations, and all the decisions that you make throughout the day look like coming to him? Okay, let's end with this one. Um, number six, pray. That's it. Um, pray. Hey, what I want you to notice here, and you've gotten this from us throughout this sermon series, this is pretty easy to do. This is pretty easy to do. It's black and white. It's pretty short. It's straightforward. It isn't complicated. It isn't confusing. It's right there. It's a framework. You can begin doing it. Jesus' invitation is to abide in him, and anyone who wants it can do this. Anyone can do this. Ron kicked off this sermon series saying, anybody is welcome. There is no person who isn't able to grab hold of these things. He has a wide open kingdom for anyone who wants it. So what's the hang up? It's simple, it's straightforward, but it's hard because it runs counter to every single thing you tell yourself. Because if it's gonna be, it's gotta be me, right? That's what goes on in my mind over and over and over and over. What makes it so hard is I have to release when I pray, I'm concretely then acting out real faith. Faith. I'm concretely putting like actions and energy and effort where my mouth is. I'm actually concretely acting out my faith. I'm saying that this is time well spent, that I will get more with him than if I just crank out my to-do list. All of us have responsibilities and things we must do that God, good things that God is calling us to do. I'm talking about rightly ordering your life. I'm talking about putting this in a significant place because it has to do with abiding in God. A praying life is making our faith concrete by actively abiding in him and agreeing with him that unless he builds, we only labor in vain, right? Maybe at the beginning, praying this prayer feels dry. Maybe it feels 
like your mind is wandering. Maybe you're not even, you just feel like you're going through the motions and it isn't working. But day after day, praying and coming before his face and him speaking to you and you being open, in a year's time, you will see significant change in your relationship because that's how all relationships work, right? Come to him over and over and put in the effort. Now, here's where I'm resisting my impulse. My impulse right now is to give you 20 things you could do to make your prayer life more successful or easier or things to do, and I'm resisting that. I'm gonna put that, because I don't think you need tips for like prayer. You can do that on your, you can, you can realize how you go to bed is how you wake up. There's a tip. How you go to bed is how you wake up, right? Go to bed earlier. Wake up before your kids get up. Spend time with Jesus. I'm gonna resist sharing any of those. And instead, I want us to practice this together. Because sometimes we come to this and go, okay, I'm gonna do this, but I still don't know what this looks like. Hey, what if we pray together as a church family? Hey, why don't you stand with me? So this is the place for that paper. Don't pick it up. This is for you to take home. But this is me going, let's do some homework right now as a church family. And then you could take that paper home and say, what would it look like for you to do this on your own time, day to day? So here's what we're gonna do. Um, I'm gonna read through the Lord's Prayer line by line. And if this is a framework for how we ought to pray, all I'm going to do is just share a few promptings. A few promptings that we've kind of teed up as we've preached through this and just give you some time to respond to the Lord. A time for you to pray to him in response to uh, this framework. So why don't I pray for us um, and then I'll start reading line by line as we walk through this, uh, the Lord's prayer, okay? So Father, would you meet with us? Spirit of the living God, would you make your presence felt right now? Spirit of the living God, you are alive. You are moving. You want us to talk to you. You want to commune with us. You want to be close to us. And you are. You are here. You are as close to us as our very selves. So God, would you hear our prayers? Would you hear our petitions? Would you hear these feeble, weak, less than impressive prayers? And would you be honored by them? Would you move? Would you act? Would you uh, have joy in your little children running up to your feet, asking all kinds of ridiculous things that they ought not pray? And you would just take delight in that. You would just take delight in that. So as we begin, our Father in heaven, Hey, close your eyes right now. Take a moment and think about the idea of God as your good father. He only has good intentions toward you. Thank him for that. If Jesus is teaching us to relate to him as a child, to persistently ask him anything, then how does that change the way you speak to him right now? This is an invitation for you to be a little messy and come to him like a child.
Say, I'm a child of God. God, you are my father. Heaven is my home. You have chosen me. And I'm adopted into your family. Every day I'm one, one day nearer. My savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother or sister too. Hallowed be your name. Keep your eyes closed and take a moment to think about the power and the presence of your God. God is really alive and he's enthroned in heaven. Declare his majesty back to him. Take a moment and be with the Father in joyful, grateful worship. You might like stand there or sit in silence just for a moment. You might rattle off, uh, rattle off a list of things that you're grateful for, or you may praise him with specific uh, scriptures that you've memorized in your heart and you could just repeat those back to him. Glory in his name right now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is establishing his reign and rule to restore all things back the way that they ought to be. Come to him like a child right now. What outlandish thing could you ask for him to do? What, what, what seems hopeless? What seems scary in your life? What seems impossible that God, that you're just like, I can't ask that because God would never do that. That could never happen. Ask that right now. Finish this sentence. Your will be done in blank. Give us this day our daily bread. What needs do you have right now and what what wants do you have that you want to dialogue with him about? Or who in this room has needs that you know about and that you want to petition for God to act on their behalf? Give us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Hey, we never move beyond asking for God to forgive us in areas of our lives where we have transgressed him and sinned against him. Ask for forgiveness there and release others to forgiveness. us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The reality is, is that we're in a spiritual battle and we are dependent upon God for our spiritual well-being. 
pray now against any temptation that you're prone toward. Pray against specific sins that you're prone toward in your weakness. Pray against any evil kind of spirit or any kind of evil in your life, whether that be demonic or human or natural. Pray that God would have his way there, that he would deliver you from evil. Father, we're able to come to you even right now praying this prayer only by the blood of your son. Like the only reason that we can come before your presence and utter these kind of unbelievable prayers for your glory, for your majesty, for your will, for our needs to be met, for deliverance is because You've made a way for us to be brought into relationship with you. We have rights by the blood of your son. You saw us in our desperate, des uh, desperate position of sin that deserved eternal wrath and death. And you didn't leave us alone. You moved toward us. We're not moving toward you. You've moved toward us. And you sent your son to live a perfect, sinless life so that we could be in your presence righteous. And you died a death that we deserve so that we can be justified before you forever. So God, by his blood, we come and pray to you now and respond by taking communion. Family, at this time, we'll tra uh, transition to a time of receiving communion. Every week we receive communion as a declaration, as a reminder that our only hope is in Jesus. So if that is your hope, if you uh, find your hope in Jesus alone, we'd invite you to come and take communion at this time. The way we take communion is by tearing a piece of the bread and dipping it in the cup, which signifies Jesus's broken body for us, that he had to uh, that his body literally had to be broken for our sins. And we dip it in the cup. Uh, the glassware is juice and the stoneware is wine. And we dip it in that cup, confessing that his blood was shed to cover our sins, to make us clean before God so we can approach him in prayer, so we can have communion with him and abide in him forever. Man, if that's your hope, then we'd invite you to come and take communion. We're gonna do that at this time. Would you respond to that? And then I should also say, if that is not your hope, if that is not what you're trusting in, uh, then we encourage you to stay in your seat and ask prayers, like ask in prayer that God would make himself real to you, that he would reveal himself to you. All the things that I said about coming to him as you are and using your words and asking him and bringing doubts and your cynicism to him, he's not offended by that. In fact, he longs for you to bring that to him so that he can meet you there Maybe put him to the test right now and ask him to make himself real to you. Ask him what would keep you from coming and putting your hope in his son. And if you want somebody to pray for you during this time, we'll have prayer ministers over here by the exits. Um, and sometimes maybe today, maybe not, up here at the front as well, but definitely right there. Uh, so you can come receive prayer or come and take communion or pray silently in your seat during this time.